from Car Rigs and Ingram, this is It Figures, the CRI podcast, an accounting, advisory, and industry-focused podcast for business and organization leaders, entrepreneurs, and anyone who is looking to go beyond the status quo. Hello and welcome to this episode of the CRI It Figures podcast. My name is Robert Lemon. I'm an audit partner with CRI in the Gainesville office in Florida. And this is going to be a government-focused episode where we talk about the Coronavirus Relief Fund. Specifically, we're going to look at how governments should recognize revenue from this fund and also what they should be doing to stay compliant with single audit requirements. So we've got an exciting episode and with, with me today are three very special guests. As always, with me is Ray Roberts. Ray, for people who haven't listened to us before, do you want to introduce yourself, please? You bet. Thanks, Rob. I'm glad to be here. My name is Ray Roberts. I'm the industry, government industry line leader for Car Rigs and Ingram. Uh, I, I live out in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where I look out the window and it's snowing right now. So looking forward to this uh, winter weather. Uh, and of course, I'm looking more forward to the uh, podcast today. Thank you, Ray. We don't have snow here in Florida, so but we, in Florida, we do have our second guest. Uh, and that was my cheesy segue for everyone there. Our second guest is, is new to this podcast. Her name is April Shooping. April, do you want to quickly introduce yourself, please? Thanks, Rob. Yes, I'm an audit partner at a Gainesville, Florida, and I'm happy to be here. I am, I'm especially nerdy about governmental accounting. I've got 17 years of experience as a governmental finance officer and then another seven auditing, um, specifically government agencies. Uh, and I actually am even such a nerd that I teach uh, governmental accounting in a local college. So um, this, this is my passion. I'm excited to talk about it. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, April. And our third guest, another new person to the team, here with us today is Gwen mansfield Vogt. So Gwen, if you'd like to introduce yourself, please. Sure. My name is Gwen mansfield Vogt. I am also enjoying a little bit of snow today with Ray from Albuquerque. Um, I play a large role in the single audit practice here at CRI. I review and approve every single audit that is issued by the firm and head up our training and professional resources tasks for those single audits. Excellent. Well, we are so happy to have April and Gwen and, and Ray join us today because uh, we've been talking about on these podcasts, the governmental uh, episodes, we've been talking about the CARES Act and the Coronavirus Relief Fund money for a little while. You know, we, we had a little break in our podcasts and now we're back and we're still on the same subject because it has not gone away. It's been the biggest thing I think most governments have dealt with this year. But uh, it's been a little while, Ray. So, Ray, do you mind giving us a recap of this coronavirus relief fund money I keep referencing? You know, where did it come from? What were the general guidelines? You know, refresh our audience a little bit on the background of this, uh, this coronavirus relief fund, please. You bet. I'll be more than happy to. The coronavirus relief fund is, is, of course, federal money provided by the Department of Treasury. And it was part of the CARES Act, which you hear a lot of. That's where the PPP loans came from and everything. The CARES Act was an incredible amount of money, $2.2 trillion uh, in the whole stimulus package. And it funded a variety of initiatives through, 
I think it's like 40 different government agencies. It's, in, it's just so widespread and hit every aspect of the economy and the government. A big part that we're going to talk about today is the amount that came uh, specifically to local governments, $150 billion. And each state was giving given a share based on their population. In general terms, half of it went to the largest cities and counties, uh, uh, cities and counties with over half a million people. And then the rest that went to the state, and the majority of the time they passed it out to the cities and counties based on their populations inside their state. Uh, some states kept some of it, some of it passed it out. But in general, half of it went to the individual uh, states and counties, I mean, cities and counties, and then directly. And then the other half went to the state to be passed out how they felt necessary. Of course, with any federal funds, Rob, you know that there's some kind of strings attached. And the three main strings, you know, there's more, instead of a string, it's more like a real heavy rope. It could only be spent on expenditures incurred due to COVID. It could only be cover expenses between March 1st and December 30th. And then it could only be cover expenses that were not previously budgeted. So it had to be new stuff. So uh, it sounds pretty simple. You know, general rules are pretty simple, but, you know, when you start getting into it, especially as much as we have with a variety of clients, it just gets tough to know how to meet those requirements. And so it's just not as straightforward as it sounds. So I hope that helps kind of refresh everybody's memory, Rob. I think that's a great recap. Excellent recap indeed, because I love what you said about it has not been as straightforward as that. You know, those three things sound so simple, but We've been working on, on this for a while now, and we've seen it is not so simple. And I'm also glad you mentioned that today is early December, the 10th of December. As I sit here today, we do not have the compliance supplement addendum, which is going to give people the compliance rules. You know, like you said, compliance hasn't been that easy, but we're waiting to get that uh, clarity and that, that set of rules, but we don't have it today. So that actually brings me to a a good question straight for Gwen as our single audit specialist. You know, we, given that we don't have these uh, this compliance supplement addendum, these these clear rules yet, what would be Gwen your top tips for local governments to try and help them, you know, get through their single audit and, and stay compliant for for their upcoming single audit? Well, as you said, Rob, unfortunately, we do not have that addendum yet, so we can't really have full clarity on the compliance requirements that will be the most important in the context of the single audit for these funds. We can make some educated guesses. For instance, I'm very comfortable in saying that allowable activities, the period of performance and subrecipient monitoring for this award will be important. Now in the context of these funds, uh, that would be expenditures that are directly related to the coronavirus pandemic incurred prior to December 30th, 2020, and making sure that any amounts passed through to subrecipients are managed and monitored in accordance with federal regulations. My number one tip here would be to err on the side of caution when choosing costs to charge to these funds, and try and choose only those that are clearly indicated as allowable based on the FAQs and guidance documents that are currently available through the Treasury website. Now, most states that have passed through these funds have also released similar guidelines for local governments. So it would also be good to make sure that you understand any additional requirements or guidelines that apply in your state. 
And another tip, this kind of applies to every grant, is to make sure that you've retained robust documentation for all expenses charged to the grant and for the controls that were performed on those items. I'd also advise everyone to be aware of any reporting requirements imposed by states or other pass-through entities, which may require tracking of certain information. Finally, if your organization has passed through funds to other local governments, nonprofits, etc., you need to make sure that evidence has been retained for all monitoring activities and follow-up actions related to those pass-through funds. Excellent. Okay, so let me recap that, Gwen. You, you said, you know, the three uh, things to kind of really focus on, definitely allowability, period of performance, and potentially subrecipient monitoring, but then also double-checking at the state level for state reporting requirements, right? Is that what I heard? Yes, that's correct. And those state-level requirements could affect other items as well. So just make sure that you're in communication with those at the state that have more information in that area. Excellent. Good, great tips there. And great tip about bearing on the side of caution um, and also about keeping documentation of the controls and just making sure you've actually got the documentation to, to prove that, that expenses were reviewed and, and what have you prior to being incurred. Because just like, as you said, in any single audit, that's often somewhere people trip up and we don't want people getting uh, compliance and control findings just because they didn't uh, keep all the paperwork that was there. They just didn't ma maintain it. So that's a common failure. I'm glad you mentioned it. But uh, so speaking of erring on the side of caution, though, I want to go back to that just a second ago. Um, so I know you've already looked at some single audits, the people who received this money and have gone through their audit process. Um, without the compliance supplement and, and they had to just go through based on the best info they had available. So what have you seen governments uh, typically, what kind of expenditures have you typically seen governments have been incurring? You know, and are there any expenditures you've seen getting charged that you think are, are very safe ones to charge, you know, that they will be allowed and, and they're very unlikely to get rejected? And um, so do you have any tips for you know, what are you typically seeing charged to the grants and what do you think are the, are the safest, in quotation marks, safest expenses to charge? Um, sure. So a lot of the things that I have already seen being charged to these funds are expenses that I would consider to be really safe. These are things that have been specifically mentioned in the FAQs, for example. There's a clear documented connection of these expenditures to the COVID-19 crisis and items that were not budgeted for prior to the onset of the pandemic. This includes items like PPE purchases, costs for um, contact tracing programs, and hazard pay for personnel that may potentially be in harm's way due to the pandemic. Uh, in the guidance from the Treasury, they've also said that expenses of providing financial aid to citizens and local businesses, also nonprofits in there, uh, that have had a negative financial impact are eligible uses of the funds. And we're seeing that these programs are often very sizable, up into the millions of dollars. Another class of expenditures with large dollar amounts that could be charged to these funds is payroll expenses for public health and safety personnel, which are considered safe to charge to this program based on guidance directly from the Treasury. 
Now, this may seem a little counterintuitive because, you know, the payroll for these individuals was budgeted for under normal circumstances before the pandemic really hit and changed the way everybody does everything. However, the approach that the guidance takes here is really rationalizing that the focus of work for these personnel has changed substantially. So it differs from what was originally budgeted for, which then means that these payroll costs can now be considered unbudgeted in how they're currently being expended. Like I said, it's a little bit circular. It's pretty counterintuitive based on the original guidance from back in March. But this updated guidance has been very clear in stating that these payroll costs for public health and safety employees are allowable under this program. Okay, so those were great tips. And I'm just digesting those because definitely the number one thing, and if you want to make sure you get through and only charge these what I'm calling safe expenses, you know, ones that will pass the single audit test, um, learn what's in the FAQs and the Treasury documents. but. That that one you mentioned about the payroll expenses, that's a that's a big one. You know, health and safety, police and fire payroll for anyone who was on the payroll during that period. That that that's obviously going to be a big one. That's going to help people a lot, especially those governments who are struggling to spend all of their allotted money. Yeah, I'm sure that most of them will have a, a vast chunk in that health and safety payroll category, which as you said, the Treasury have now expressly said this is allowed, you know, because the circumstances changed, you know, it, it, it's fine. Even though it kind of was budgeted, the circumstances have changed and, and we're going to consider that unbudgeted and that it passes one of those original three tests that Ray gave us at the beginning. So excellent tips. So that, that's, that's going to be a big one that I think will help a lot of people. But we've talked a lot about compliance so far. And, and Gwen, I've been hammering you with questions, but I'm going to switch it up a little bit here and talk more about revenue recognition. So complying with the GASB standards here. And, I, and I'm going to switch to April because April, I know you've worked a heck of a lot with uh, local counties and, and you've actually been administering grants and, and really working with very, very closely with, with, with clients, helping them administer things. And I, I believe you've even been presenting on this, this sort of a subject of, of revenue recognition. So. You know, let, let's switch to the accounting side and let me just kind of ask this simply. When should a government recognize revenue? Um, I know it can be different in different situations, depending on whether the money is received in advance or whether the, the, the coronavirus relief fund money is being received through a reimbursement. So April, help us understand the revenue recognition triggers if the funds were received in advance versus those that were reimbursed. All right. So... Uh, like most things in governmental accounting, the answer is it depends. Um, the GASB issued a technical bulletin in June that I'm recommending everyone to read if they're struggling with some of these revenue recognition questions. It's specific to CARES Act money, and it really did help a lot. Um, for those other accounting nerds out there, it's technical bulletin 2020-1. Um, so really, you're looking at uh, three distinct situations. The first and the easiest is when you receive the money in advance, if, if you've gotten the funding in advance, and anyone who got it directly from the Treasury got it in advance. However, there are uh, a lot of counties um, that within each state or other uh, recipients who might be getting it on, an, on a reimbursement basis, which makes it a little more complicated. 
When you've gotten the, gotten the funds in advance, um, it's really straightforward. You just recognize your revenue whenever you've incurred your eligible expenditure. Um, pretty simple. And that's going to be for your governmental fund statements and your government wide. So if you've gotten the funding in advance, simple. As soon as you've got your eligible expenditure, you can record your revenue. However, for those counties, cities, anything, you know, not-for-profits reporting on the governmental model, if they're getting their money on a reimbursement basis, the first thing you want to find out is, do you have a grant award in place, some kind of subrecipient agreement and a formal commitment to get your grant funds? If you do, you're going to handle it exactly the same as an advance for revenue recognition purposes on your government-wide statements. You recognize your revenue when your eligible expense is incurred. The only difference is that now you'll have a corresponding receivable in place. Now, in your governmental fund statement, you're gonna have to wait and see when you actually get that reimbursement, the timing of it, and whether it's gonna meet your availability requirement. If the cash comes in at year end, obviously you can recognize your revenue. Um, but if it comes in after a year end, you either have to consider your um, government specific period of availability. If it's coming in within that period of availability, whether it's 60 or 90 days, whatever you've set it at, then you can record that receivable in revenue uh, in the prior fiscal year, as long as you've spent the, um, the money on eligible expenditures during that year. The tricky part happens if it comes in after your year, year end and after your period of availability measurement period. Now you, you don't have revenue, not in your governmental fund statements. You're going to have a deferred inflow. In that case, you're still going to show a receivable uh, for the amount in your prior year financials, but you can't recognize that revenue until the subsequent year. Okay, let me try and recap that. So, advanced funded uh, governments. Nice and easy. It's always going to be based on the date an eligible expense is incurred. But for the reimbursement grant, uh, reimbursement type governments that are getting it in as a reimbursement, it's, they use that eligible expense date for the government wide statements. But the government funds, that's where they need to do a bit of thinking. And it depends on the availability, meeting that availability. Uh, requirement and, and getting the cash in either within the year end or shortly thereafter, depending on the uh, availability period. Okay. So for, for the most part, the date of eligible expense is the key one. But, uh, you know, if you're getting it in as a reimbursement, just be careful on your government fund statements that the cash is in within the available period. Okay. That was a good explanation. I just had to repeat it to, to recap and, and, and April, I love that you gave the reference to the technical guidance. So that was technical bulletin 2020-1, correct? That's right. Excellent. On the GASB website. So so what, what about April? You know, it's a quirky circumstance. What if, what if there's, there's a government that has incurred the expenses? You know, that's the key date we just talked about. They've incurred the expenses and they're expecting to be reimbursed but they don't yet have anything in writing to confirm that they're entitled to a reimbursement. You know, some in, I know in Florida, for example, the, the money went to the counties and they could decide if they were going to give it to a city or not, but there's you know, nothing committed to the cities unless the county agreed. So what if the city is thinking, I've, well, I've incurred some stuff and I, I think I'm going to get some, some from my county, but I'm not sure yet. They've incurred the eligible expenses, but should they record the revenue? 
Yeah, so that's a tricky question, Rob. And, and I, I suspect that there are more than one entities out there in that situation. Um, if any governments have been dealing with FEMA in the past, which as Florida uh, governments, we are very familiar with, it's very similar to what you see in FEMA that you really need to have some kind of formal agreement in place uh, with the entity that's going to give you the money, whether it's a subrecipient agreement or grant agreement. Um, if you've spent the money and have just been in talks with that other level of government that might be passing it through to you, but nothing's been formally um, actually signed and committing that they are going to give you those funds, you really don't have any revenue to record just yet. Um, you're going to have to wait until that gets put into place. Yeah, because that, that makes sense to me because obviously you would have to recognize the revenue just based on you know some positive conversations with a county that indicates you might get something and then have to back out the revenue because, oh, by the way, you know, we, we talked about this, but we, we can't commit to it. You know, it's hard to, 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 to kind of uh, justify putting that revenue on the books just based on a, on a, a conversation, not, not, nothing committed or anything like that. So that makes, that makes perfect sense. Do not recognize that revenue. Um, even if you've incurred the eligible expenses, you can't rec recognize it unless you know it's committed and it's going to come your way. So that makes good sense. Well, hey, Gwen and, and, and April, thank you guys so much for, for being on today because I know you've been through a lot of uh, projects with various clients, helping them through this very difficult, uh, this, this very difficult project. And, you know, Red, I'll come back to you to, to wrap us up here because as industry line leader, you have seen all the various services and projects we've helped different governments with. And, you know, from your perspective, what would you say is the, is the number one thing you think governments have struggled with and, and what would be your top tip to help them manage it? Yeah, this, is, this one's pretty easy. The biggest struggle I've seen is this, the lack of clear guidance from the government on what we can and can't do in this area. And then also the lack of experience with people with this grant, because in both cases, this is a new grant. I mean, the government is typically for moving real slow, known for moving real slow. But in this case, they really got this money out and projects, you know, laid out $2.2 trillion in a really quick time frame. But, you know, when you rush stuff out like that, it's just nobody knows. And so the struggle of not having that clear guidance is for sure the biggest uh, issue that we, we ran into. As a top tip, you know, I think to spend the next 20 days on this and then what you're going to do to Make sure you spin it right with single audits that Gwen talked about. And, you know, you just need to designate a team that's ded dedicated to tracking the guidance that comes out. Make sure the team is led by somebody that has some experience, either with the CARES, the first round of CARES Act or some other kind of grants, because there are some similarities between the different kinds of federal grants. And so just have that team there and, and have them work together. Give them the opportunity to be successful by giving them the time taking some of their day jobs away from them so they can concentrate on uh, doing this type of work and getting the best uh, information they can and be able to spend the money the way it's intended to help the stakeholders and citizens of their city and county. Yeah, that's a really good one there, Ray, because you're right. I've, I've seen people going through this and I, I can't imagine them doing it, you know, on top of their day job. They've, they've needed to focus and be dedicated on I'm um, keeping on top of this to, to administer it properly. And I'm glad as well you mentioned, you know, what, what could be coming because people might think, Hey, this is late December or early December. And you guys, 
you know, to talking about this subject, which is nearly done, uh, the, the, the grants winding down. Well, as you've just said, there's a lot of talk right now and uh, about next round of funding. So we, we may have got past this one, but there's another wave very likely to come. And, and, and also people still haven't got through their single audits yet. They're, they're still going on. So I, I still think this, uh, there's a lot more to this story before it's, uh, before it wraps up. But yeah, really good tips. I, I'm going to wrap up here then and, and just mention again, you know, April gives a really good resource reference, the 2020-1 technical bulletin on the Gatsby website to help with revenue recognition. Gwen gave some really good resources up for the single audit, talking about all the treasury documents, the FAQs and the guidance. Um, so those are some good resources. Also, CRI, CRI's website, CRICPA.com, has a bunch of uh, good information on there. There's going to be some articles and, and, and also we're hosting a CPE training session that people can sign up to in, in January that's going to go into these topics in even more detail. So lots of good resources and information out there. That's all we've got for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. If you want more CRI insights or are interested in learning about our firm, please visit our website at CRICPA.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of It Figures, the CRI podcast. You can subscribe to It Figures on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to your podcasts. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review. 